worship leaders, worship musicians, and those who love to worship. What is the difference between worship and praise? Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Worship Homestead. My name is Nathan Smith. Thank you for joining me. Today, I want to answer a really basic but a really important question. What is the difference between worship and praise? We throw those terms around sort of like they're interchangeable. Is there a difference at all? Well, we'll get there in a second. But first, I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free worship training bundle called Worship Booster Pack. It has videos and manuals on everything from songwriting to how to make your band sound better to how to do live sound in a bunch of different formats so that you can get what's right for you and for your team. So again, if you want that, go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, or click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack, all one word. All right, let's talk about the difference between praise and worship. So while I was perusing some videos on the internet, I came across a very young group of musicians and worshipers talking about what they thought the difference was, what is worship, and a very elderly statesman of worship talking about what the difference between praise and worship is. And unfortunately, I was a little bit disappointed by both of them because they both use this phrase. Worship to me is... Mm. And that's, that's when I knew that the next thing that they were going to say wasn't going to be very helpful, uh, that to me part. Here's the deal. We live in a culture right now that is two things, that is very abstract in its thinking and very self-centered in its thinking. And here's what I mean by that. Abstract, well, we get abstract thought from the Greeks. Abstract thought is thinking about thinking, right? Where the thing that you're talking about exists in the mind. It doesn't exist on the ground. It's, it's not something that you can see, touch, taste, feel, or smell. We'll talk about this in a second, but the Hebrews were very concrete in their thinking. They were of Eastern thought. You know, thought around the world pretty much gets into two camps. Western thought, which is, we get that from the Greeks, very abstract, and Eastern thought, very concrete. We get that from the Near East and, and Asia. Anyway, well, the problem with that, and abstract thought is really good for some things. It's really good for putting things spatially, and, and that's why the Greeks were so good at architecture and philosophy. There's a lot of good that comes out, out of abstract thought. However, it has some drawbacks, and I'll get to that in a second. The second problem is the self-centeredness of the age, and I think that probably comes from postmodernism. Because if you take, well, how do you know that something is real, to its logical conclusion, you get where we are right now, which is that there is no objective truth. There's only your truth and my truth. There's, you know, my lived experience, and well, that's that's what I think. So it's pretty unfortunate. It, we can blame social media for the self-centered narcissism, but really it came before that. It came from secular humanism. When we took away God as the center of things and put man as the center of things, well, you're going to get what you're going to get. And that's very connected to our abstract thought and our Greek mindset because it sort of does center around the human and what he can um, observe or think about in his mind, not about what God says. When we say things like, well, worship to me is, or, well, we all bring our personal stories to worship and, and your story is different than my story. Well, that's true, but that's not really what the definition of worship 
or praise is. The definition of worship and praise is actually pretty concrete, and for that we need to go back to the Hebrews. Because when God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he revealed himself to a bunch of Bedouins. They were Near East people who lived on the land, who had herds, and that's what they did. They, they were completely connected to the land. They weren't Greek in their thinking at all. They were concrete, meaning I have a goat and it's right in front of me. I either have a goat or I don't have a goat. I don't have some idealized form of a goat. There's not the uber goat, right, like Plato's forms or a shadow of a goat. It's just this is the goat. <laughs> They're very, very, very practical people. And that's how God revealed himself was to a very practical, concrete people. And so the words and even the thoughts that they had were practical and concrete. The Hebrew language in its earliest writing form was just pictographs. So like the letter A, our letter A comes from the Hebrew letter Aleph, which is a picture of an ox, which was a symbol of strength for them. So words that have Aleph in them, you know, often denote strength. That's why I love Hebrew is because it is concrete. And when we look at the words for praise and worship in Hebrew, everything gets clear and less fuzzy and much less self-centered and much more God-centered. So now that my rant is done, let's talk about the Hebrew words for praise and worship. There are two words that are most commonly translated as worship in the Old Testament, and they mean the same thing. The first one is shaka, which means to bow. That's it. It means to bow down. The other word, segid, means to fall down. And even in the New Testament, the word for worship is proskuneu in Greek, which means to prostrate oneself, right? To put your face on the ground. You notice how concrete that is? You can see that. When I say bow down, you immediately know what that is. It puts a picture in your mind of what you're supposed to do. It's not abstract. It's concrete. It's also a whole body thing. The Greeks really like to slice and dice. They like to separate, okay, we've got the mind, we've got the emotions, we've got the body, etc., etc. They love doing that kind of analysis. The Hebrews, again, being very practical, saw the unity of the thing. They saw the whole thing. So when you bow, well, everything is going down onto the ground right? Your will, your emotions, your mind, all of it is going down to the ground. That's what it means to worship God. You also notice that it's not actually a musical term. You ever hear people say, well, worship is more than a song. It's a lifestyle. Well, I'm here to tell you that worship is not a song. That's praise, which we're going to get to in a second. So let's talk about praise. The Israelites actually had a really well-developed sense of what praise was, and all seven of their words get jammed into one word, praise, in English. So let's go through them. The first one is yada, which means to cast or to throw. So it involves the hand, but it means to give thanks. So when Leah had her fourth child with Isaac, she said, now I will give thanks to the Lord, and she named him Judah, which is connected to yada because his name means praise. Next up is the word halal, which means to be clear. That could be a clear color or often a clear piercing tone. Well, where that comes from is in Ethiopian culture, if there's you know a big celebration, if men had returned from a hunt or from a war and they were victorious, the women during the communal celebration would go, la, 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 la. that clear piercing tone sounds like halal, right? That's where we get the word hallelujah, 
is halal yah, praise yah, or praise God. It can also mean to shine, to boast, to rave, or to be clamorously foolish. So it's a very passionate word, to halal yah. Next up, the word barak. This means to kneel, or literally, to bend the knees. Now, that makes sense for us. Okay, yeah, we can bow before the Lord. But here's something cool. The first time that we see the word halal being used as bless or praise is when God has created Adam and Eve, and he blesses them in the garden. He kneels. What's going on there? I did not understand that until I heard a guy named Jeff Benner, who is a Jewish linguist, talk about it. So I'm going to give credit to him. He said, well, imagine if your young child was coming up to you and tugging on your arm and said, Daddy, Daddy, I have a question. Well, what would you do? You don't lord over them by standing over the top of them and intimidate them. You get down on one knee and you meet them eye to eye. It's a sign of respect that I respect and love you enough to get down on your level and find out what's important to you. Wow, what an amazing picture of the fatherhood of God that after he creates this world, he gets down on one knee and he looks Adam and Eve in the eye to bless them on their level. Very, very cool. Next up is the word zamar, which means to pluck or to strike with the fingers. And this specifically means playing a musical instrument. So something you should know is that playing a musical instrument with or without singing is itself praise to God. So if you play an, a musical instrument in church and you're not singing, don't feel less than. I want to tell you that you are praising the Lord. You're not backing up the praise. You're not the accompaniment to the praise. You are part of and you are praising God with your instrument, whether you're a drummer, a bassist, or piano player, or anything else. Next is the word shabak, which means to shout or to commend, but it can also mean to still or soothe. When it says in scripture that one generation shall commend your works or shall praise your works to the next, that's the word shabak. Next, the word tehillah, and this specifically means a song containing praise or a song of praise. So you know that quote, well, worship is more than a song, it's a lifestyle. I always felt a little bit slighted by that until I figured out, well, yeah, worship's not a song, but praise is a song. Praise, the tehillah, is actually a song of praise. So there you go. And finally, toda, which is connected to the word yada, but it means confession or thanksgiving, and it has the idea of an extended hand in it. In tabernacle worship, God had specifically a toda sacrifice that would be offered, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So to recap, what's the difference between worship and praise? Well, worship means to fall or to bow down. It's not a musical term, but it is a whole body term. But what is praise? A lot of things. It can mean to give thanks. It can mean to shine or to rave, boast, be clamorously foolish, to kneel or to bend the knee or to bless, to pluck and strum with the fingers playing a musical instrument, to shout or to commend. It can be a song containing praise or it can be an offering of thanksgiving or a confession. The big takeaway is this. Whether we're talking about worship or praise, these are not abstract concepts that are fuzzy and self-centered. They're concrete things that you do with your whole body that are God-centered. Hey, I hope that video helps you, and I hope it makes praise and worship less theoretical and less fuzzy 
and much more practical and real life because that's what God intended for it to be. Again, if you're looking for some free trainings for your worship team or for yourself in songwriting, how to do live sound, or how to make your band sound better, go to blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack. Until next week, God bless and goodbye.